Tor zu Fels bekommen. Nein. Thank you for wrecking me and everybody else this morning. Anna rocks back up from Wales and joins the worship. And, um, that was just absolutely beautiful. And the reason why I don't turn Facebook on it is because I just want to share something. I just want to do something for five minutes. Does anybody feel that this morning? Isn't that what we come for? Just to encounter that presence. And I just want to ask, not out loud, but the people in this church that know how to pray in the spirit, I want you to pray in the spirit right now. Because I felt a spiritual battle going on before worship started. I felt it inside of me. It was like there was a war going on in my mind. And I felt the Lord say, it's not just you. There's something going on in this church right now. There's a battle right now over people's minds. There's a spiritual warfare taking place. And most of that worship, I stood there and I was praying in the spirit. And I felt something shift and change. And then I heard the word, the reason why there's a battle is because there's breakthrough coming. The devil doesn't want you to be free. But your perception of freedom isn't the reality of your situation. It's the freedom that Jesus purchased on the cross for you right now. That means you already are free. So just do me a favor. Because when the Holy Spirit turns up for me, it's the moment to stop and listen to what he wants to say. I've got a message and I know it's God's word. But when he turns up like that, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm nothing. I just want to bow down and say, Holy Spirit, come and do what you've got to do. So just close your eyes and just put your hands out for a minute. For anybody that feels right now like you're in a spiritual battle in your mind, there's thoughts. It feels like they're just clashing like waves together. I want to declare the freedom of Christ over your life right now. And I ask in the name of Jesus, God, release your breakthrough. I come against that spiritual battle that the devil's trying to do and separate people from your presence, from relationship of knowing you, Lord. Right now, we come against it. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here right now. Holy Spirit, just come right now. Just rest upon people and just speak your word of love and freedom. Just calm the thoughts, Lord. Bring that peace right now. Jesus. Jesus. Just start saying in your mind to yourself, don't ask for freedom, start proclaiming. Thank you, Lord, I am free. From the anxiety from the insecurity, from the unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. I am already free because of your blood shed on that cross. You've set me free. And I choose to praise your name, Lord, over any situation over every thought, the Bible says, bring every thought into captivity. The 
choice to exceed itself against the knowledge of God. We just bring every thought right now that's crashing like waves in the mind. We come against the lies of the devil. We rebuke you right now. Get out. And we proclaim the freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Right, better stop preaching. Morning, church. Morning, Facebook. Sorry we're late. It was Steph's fault. Right, so this morning, I felt the Lord put a word on my heart about, um, it was kind of like law versus grace. You know that whole, that old good old debate that, that has divided Christians and religion and theology? Because there's, there's, there's part of the church that's been brought up on a doctrine to believe that we're still under the law. And then there's the other side of the church that believes that we're under grace. Now, I'm not saying that people, that either one is, is wrong in that sense. So I'm not trying to point the finger. My granddad always said, if I point the finger, there's always three pointing back at me. But I felt the Lord wanted to speak a specific word to bring people into a freedom that you may not have known. And so the first thing that I want to say, whenever we talk about law versus grace, the best way to understand law versus grace is to understand flesh versus spirit. Galatians 5.16, it says, And the flesh fights or wars or battles with the spirit, and the spirit with the flesh. I'm putting glasses on because I can't see your lovely faces. Sorry. So what I want to say to you is, there's a battle that's going on in your life, every day of your life. So there are mornings where you don't feel like it, where thoughts are battling in your mind, where your body doesn't want to wake up because you're getting old and can't exercise no more. That's just probably my problem. Where there's this battle going on, and then what happens is we think it's us, and we think we've done something wrong. Something's not quite right, it's not working. But I think there's, it's good to have an awareness that this whole battle between flesh and spirit is because there literally is a battle going on between your flesh and your spirit. But the real battle that's going on isn't just between the flesh and the spirit. It's when we don't believe that God can love the flesh side of us. See, I might be able to accept that God can love the spirit side of me. You know, the side that's been forgiven that's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that's been saved, transformed, restored, justified, sanctified, all those fancy words that the King James likes to use. I might be able to believe that God can love that part of me, but when it comes to the flesh, the part that still struggles with, with sin, 
with wrong thoughts, with wrong behavior. I don't believe God can love that part of me. And how I saw it was, just imagine God's love is like a mountain. Like Moses climbing up Mount Sinai. And when we're trying to do it in our flesh, most of us, we're still at the bottom. Because we're still fighting in our flesh whether God can still love that side of us. And I absolutely believe that the moment we start to believe, yes, God, that you love that flesh side of me, that's when freedom comes. That's when breakthrough comes. When I can begin to accept, the Bible says in Romans, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for me. Just get that thought a minute. When I was still a sinner, that's when Jesus died for me. There's an understanding that the separation, the divide when it comes to doctrine and theology, that people still believe we're under the law. Because when we can't believe that God loves the flesh, we have to grip onto religion that tells me I've got to obey and I've got to be good and I've got to get it right and I've got to be perfect for God to love me. But I worry that when we, we have a bad day and we fall off the edge, that we completely reject the idea that God can still love us in a way that is unconditional. And I absolutely believe God wants to break down that wall. He wants to completely transform that mindset. Romans 12, 2, but do, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? There's got to be a renewing within the mind that begins to believe, God, that flesh side of me, yeah, I still struggle. I still struggle with sin, with insecurity, with anxiety. But you love unconditionally that part of me. And the moment I begin to believe that you love me equally as my spirit, that's the first time in your life you begin to understand the love of God. Amen? When people put themselves under the law, we often think of the Ten Commandments, true? And if you're trying to obey the law, you've got a problem. Because there ain't just Ten Commandments, there's 613 laws. So good luck trying to obey every single one. I broke one this morning already, so I'm done for. 613 laws that God gave to Israel to obey. And Jesus, when he came, the Bible says that he fulfilled the law. And he died as a perfect man, as perfect righteousness upon the cross. And he brought in grace. And grace became the new covenant. We all know that, true? But I want to show you something in regards to grace. Because the whole focus, and I've shared it before, is around grace. That we're saved by grace. And the conflict is trying to put grace in the flesh and the spirit. Believing that God has saved both. That's the first thing I want you to get in your head straight away. God, you've saved both, all of me. Both the flesh and the spirit. And though there's a warfare, and though there's a battle in my mind, maybe the, battle, the real battle is I need to start accepting, God, you love me for who I am. You love me for who I am. But I want to show you something powerful about grace. The Bible says in, uh, let me find the scripture. Nick, if you can get this up. 
Put a phone to your face, Nick. Oh, come on. Ephesians 2 8. I want to show you some scriptures. I believe God wants to speak something this morning. So the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Notice that it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So that means that although grace is the prime focus of our salvation, grace came through faith. That means if grace is quite a big deal, you could go as far as to say that faith is superior to grace. Just a simple analogy which might sound a bit stupid, but that's me, so it's okay. Just imagine that you've got grace without faith is like having a plug socket without turning the power on. I can plug my phone in. I don't know if you've ever actually really done it. Plugged your phone in, wondered why it's still on 1%, and you forgot to turn the power on. Grace has to be activated by faith. That means faith is a pretty big deal. But here it says that faith isn't something that you just muster up, that you find out of nowhere. It says it's a gift of God. Now watch this. So if grace is not the only thing that comes through faith, this keeps locking. Look at um, Galatians 5.5. 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. There's another scripture that's in Romans that says righteousness comes through faith. I wonder if God's trying to tell us something. That we put all the focus on grace and righteousness, which is our identity, and is absolutely significant to understand that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? But without turning the power on, without activating grace and righteousness, I can't receive its reward. And that's sometimes the mental blockage that Christians struggle with when under the law, is they can't accept that this is what God wants to give you. This is who he says you are. This is your identity. But it takes faith to activate it. So if grace and righteousness comes through faith, I wonder if faith comes through anything. If faith is superior to grace and righteousness. So watch this, there's another scripture. If you go to the next verse, Nick. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Wow. Wow. Think about it. So grace and righteousness came through faith. But the Bible here says that faith came through love. So if faith is the power that activates grace, what is the power that activates faith? It's the love of God. In fact, where it says faith working through love, that's the new covenant that we're under. If you think about it, God gave Moses the law, that became the covenant. 
Jesus brought grace, salvation, righteousness, forgiveness. But John 3 verse 16 isn't just a famous scripture. It's actually a covenant. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's a covenant that God has made with us. That replaces law. That replaces anything in our life. Faith is the new. When faith works through love, faith is a gift of God. But one John says that God is love. That's just powerful. And the moment you get the revelation that God is love, faith is activated. Something begins to shift and change in your life because you begin to see God for who he really is. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, when it says that we see the glory of God in the image, his glory in an image, it reflects. For God is the very reflection of glory. Jesus became the very image of the Father. And Jesus knew that love. He gave his life for that love. That love of God, that God is love, has become the new covenant. And I absolutely believe that God wants to not just have it as a small little word that's a nice, you can go home and have your Sunday dinner. That was a nice word. He wants to pierce your hearts with his love. He wants the whole of your being to know he is in love with you. So much so that Jesus laid down his life for that new covenant to become a reality in your life. So when we're looking at law versus grace and the flesh versus spirit and the whole battle between believing if God can love that flesh side of you, the one that fails, the one that's weak. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is the weakness, accepting that you have weakness. What did God say to Paul three times when he asked him to remove the thorn out of the flesh? My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. There has to be a moment where we accept we have weakness. That's my flesh. And here's the body of the problem, right? Not that I'm having a go at people that tell new Christians this kind of teaching, but I am having a go at them. It's okay to tell new Christians, you're a brand new person, your old nature's gone, now you become a, you're brand new, you won't struggle with sin, everything now is fine. We have this idea that the Bible does teach that, so I'm not saying it's wrong because it's in the Bible. It does say that we become a brand new creature, a brand new person. We are transformed. But then if you're going to tell new Christians that, also please tell them the likes of Galatians 5.16 where it says that your flesh is going to battle with your spirit. Please tell them Romans 8.10 where it says that though your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I am alive because of righteousness. But my body is still subject to sin. It's dead to sin. In my spirit is dead to sin. But I think part of the battle is that we've been teaching a doctrine and a theology that we don't tell Christians the fullness of the gospel. You are still flesh. You will still struggle. You still have weakness. But that's the side that Jesus came to save and love. Not waiting for one day for you to get it right. And for you to obey that moment. Let me say something personal. And I don't know why I'm doing it. Maybe it might help one person. I hear a lot of preachers talk about sin and repentance. And listen, I'm all for sin and repentance. 
I, I probably have to repent every day, maybe. I am a Christian, especially now as a preacher, standing here in front of you all. I have to try and be a bit better. When I'm driving in my car and someone wants to cut me off, or my wife says something in the morning, or somebody offends me, do you know how much I have to hold back? My flesh wants to rip you apart. I ain't, I'm just being honest. Anybody? No, am I the only one? Now listen, I still rip people apart. I still want to tell you what I think. I want to punch you in the face. Not my wife. She would beat me up. I'm trying to get you to see that it's okay holding back. And then it's okay having the mentality that says, but now I need to repent and I'm no good and God's disappointed with me. I think that's the biggest problem we're facing right now. The biggest problem we have right now is that we are holding on to the disappointment of our past. So when we come to Mount Sinai and we want God's presence, I'm at the bottom fighting in my flesh. Because that battle is taking place in the mind. And what we don't understand is the moment we put ourselves under law, and I don't accept that God loves my flesh, I build a belief system that is centered around that thought process that says, I'm not good enough, God, you're disappointed. And you might not even know it, you might not even be conscious, but in your subconsciousness, in the deepness of your being, you form a foundation that is built upon a lie. And you don't even see it. So you start to live your life as a Christian, always trying to exceed the expectation that religion has put upon you. But what you don't see is you've built a belief system that has a wrong thought process. And wrong thoughts, unfortunately, create wrong belief, which create wrong behavior. But we've become a society and a generation that are trying to get our behavior in order to become a better Christian. My behavior will never change until my belief changes first. Holy Spirit, I know you're here right now. And I absolutely believe he wants to change minds. He wants people to start climbing Mount Sinai. Not because it has to be a struggle. Because he wants you to know that he has accepted you for who you are. And I believe something is about to dramatically shift. The moment that you go home after this and spend the rest of this week confessing the truth over yourself and who you are and your identity. And the moment that you fail, please don't beat yourself up. Though it's hard. We, we, I am the worst at beating myself up from the moment I fail. There has to be a time where we start saying, I'm your righteousness. Father, you love me for who I am. And there's a battle going on right now. And now I understand it's not just in my own mind. And I'm not the only one having these thoughts. But it says in Galatians 5.16 that my flesh will battle with my spirit. But you know what I love? It says that my spirit's going to fight back. Wow. Come on then. My spirit that has been revived and is alive and is covered with the fullness and the blood of Jesus is going to fight the devil back. It's going to fight those thoughts back. You're not on your own. But the moment that you allow and you accept that God loves the flesh side of you, I see doors opening that's never opened for you before. I see God's blessing being released because do you know, and it is your fault and mine, do you know that you can actually stop the blessing of God from being received because of the mentality that you have that says, I can't accept what you want to give me because I'm not good enough? Can you just give me a year to get myself sorted out first? And God's saying, you don't understand. I am dying right now.
his love upon you. Every fiber of my being is in love with you. And please stop rejecting it and start believing it. Amen. To finish, can I, can I show you one of the greatest examples of love between Jesus and the Father? That by the way, I only saw at three o'clock this morning. Because somebody decided to choose and accept that there would be a girl sleepover at my house. And I had two girls giggling at three o'clock in the morning, which meant I was awake then till half five this morning. I've had no sleep. I don't drink coffee, so I'm on zero energy right now. I literally just have the Holy Spirit standing me up preaching the gospel. But as I'm lying in bed and all these thoughts are coming to me, I saw something about the love of Jesus that he has for his father. And it gripped my heart. You know, you, I idolize Jesus. He, he is our hero. He is everything. He is absolutely everything that I would wish and pray to be. To walk, to, to, to even an ounce to be like Jesus. I have, I, have ex- exceed, I have achieved something and succeeded in life far beyond my imagination if I could ever be just a small part like Jesus. And then you think of the three years that we have of Jesus' life that's recorded in the Gospels and every miracle that he performed. And we know the love of Jesus. It says that before he fed the 5,000, he says he had compassion on them. He would touch lepers and they would get healed. He would raise the dead. He would call out Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus would come back from the dead. He would cleanse sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. He was the love of God in a human being, which is Colossians 2, 9, for the fullness of God dwelt in the human body of Jesus. He was the very express image of the love of God. And you can talk about everything that Jesus did those three years, but there's this one moment that got my attention more than anything. And that was the moment that he was on the cross. And please never, ever forget as a Christian that Jesus barely made it to the cross, that he was nearly beaten to death before he even got there. He was whipped and beaten with a crown of thorns put on his head. And let me tell you, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, that record that Jesus got whipped is one line. And Pontius Pilate sent him to get whipped. One line does not justify the beating that Jesus took for us. But there's a moment, do you know that, like I said last time, when they put the nails in his hands on the cross and Jesus never said stop. Do you know that even when they beat him, he never complained? He never opened his mouth and said, what are you doing? Stop. I can't take this no more. He never complained. When they put him on the cross, when they nailed his hands and his feet and left him to die for hours, he never complained. In fact, the only thing you hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you want to know the only single moment that Jesus ever complained? Was when he said, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me? That was the only time of the beating to death that he took. Now think of that. We can learn so much from the sufferings of Jesus than anything else he did in life. We can learn more from his suffering. And this isn't a message to say, don't cry and don't moan when you're suffering. Listen to what I'm saying. 
the only time in his suffering that Jesus cried out and complained about something was when he felt the Father leave him. And in a moment that gripped my heart more than anything. He was more concerned about the love of the Father than his own life. Wow. I don't even think we, we even come close to understanding what that means. We, we spend our days fighting in our flesh. Should I be under the law? Should, am I under grace? It's time to put theology aside, church. It's time to tell Christians who are under the spirit of religion, this is the time for freedom. I'm not trying to condemn people and point the finger. There's a street pointing back. I'm trying to say, stop causing division in the church that's meant to represent the very one that we believe that died for us and is alive right now. Because what are we showing to the world when we want to sit here and debate about theology? I'd rather just not, I'd just rather fight, yeah? I'm, I'm, I just, I ain't got time for arguing with theology and doctrine. I ain't got time. For, do you know why? Because Jesus died for me. He died for me. And the only time that he cried out and complained in his suffering was when he felt the Father leave him. For me, that means, God, everything that I know, everything that I experience, I want that. Unfortunately, it may have caused me some suffering. But as Tim said last week, which is an amazing message, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, even in the suffering, Father, I want you. Jesus, will you lead me to the Father and let me be loved by him? Because if that was your only concern on the cross, was when the Father left you. Wow. Just what an image. The only time Jesus was concerned was when the Father left him. Not, not when they put the nails through, or the crown of thorns. They left him to die, suffering. Wow. That's love. So when the Bible says that the new covenant is faith working through love, let, let me just give you this example of what I believe God's trying to get us to understand. Let's just come back to law and grace. So you take law, you take the Ten Commandments, take you shall not steal, for example. You don't want to steal. Sorry, I should, let me rephrase that. You may not steal because the law says do not steal. But in your heart, you might want to steal. Just because the law says do not steal doesn't change you as a person. But when you have the love of the Father and you're under the covenant of faith working through love, you don't want to steal because you're overwhelmed with love. There's a difference. You see what I, It's not that I can't steal even though I want that new coat that I can't afford or that car, so I'm just going to nick it, whatever. I don't want to steal, but it doesn't change my heart. The law can't change me as a person. The love of God can completely transform me. So take hurting someone or sinning against someone. The law says don't do it. As I said earlier, there's quite a few people we might want to do it to that offend us, that hurt us deeply. And then we've got to suffer with that. We've the one that's got to groan with the thoughts and the hurt. And they carry on their merry way, skipping down the road like nothing's happened. But when you have faith that works through love, I don't want to hurt you, I want to forgive you. And that's not in my ability to do that. 
but there's something working on the inside of me. I've encountered the very love of the Father and it compels me and it changes my heart from within. It says, I don't want to hurt you anymore. I'm sorry. I don't want to sin against you anymore because the love of God has convicted me. And I think if we can get that concept of just being under the love of God and what he's trying to do, he didn't remove the law and left us as a lawless people to do whatever he wants. He left us with grace that would lead us to the love of the Father like Jesus knew it. Amen? I think I'm done. I think I've got everything else. I don't know. Steph, do you want to say anything? No? Oh, actually, can I just say? Can I just say thank you to Steph for a minute? So, you all know, I hope you all know, if you don't, you're in trouble. But I hope, or you all know that on Tuesdays, for the last three weeks, I think we've been doing it, haven't we? We've been doing some worship on Tuesday nights. I just felt that God put it on my heart to come together and have some worship. And I have to say, you ask the eight or ten people that turn up on a Tuesday. The presence of God has come. And Steph has led worship for the last two Tuesdays for about an hour until she can no longer feel her fingers. But I think, especially last Tuesday, am I right, the people that was here on a Tuesday, you can feel the presence. And let me also say that, that God's been speaking. Every single Tuesday we've come and we've worshipped. When Tim did the first one, God spoke a word. And I'm going to tell you the two words, and then I promise I'll leave you alone. The first word that God spoke, I was, bearing in mind, we haven't been able to sing for how many months in this church. There was a point, obviously, because of COVID and masks that, you know, we couldn't pray, we couldn't speak out. And as we began to sing again and we started doing this worship, I was stood over there and the Holy Spirit came and I just began to speak out in tongues. I was praying out loud in the Spirit. I don't know if the Bible says to give your own interpretation, but, but I did. I didn't know if I was meant to do that, but I gave the interpretation. This is what God said. Take back territory and claim back your rights. That's the first word that he spoke. Take back territory and claim back your rights. Claim back who you are, who God says you are. Claim back your identity. In lockdown, the devil took some territory from us. Time to take it back. Then the second word, the presence just turned up and it was absolutely beautiful. And, and, and as I was standing there and I, I saw an altar, and the Lord said it's an altar to come and offer sacrifice of worship. And I felt the Lord said that he wanted us, he'd offered us an altar to come and offer ourselves on that altar, to come and offer our worship and our praise, and just to lay it all down on the altar. And I remember saying to God, but God, there's only 10 of us. What can 10 people do? And God said, do you know what I can do with five loaves and two fish? And then he said, whatever you give me in worship and praise, I will multiply it. I am going to multiply everything that you give me. And there's the altar. And then Steph carried on worshipping until she couldn't feel her fingers. And I think she kind of had to stop. We, we, we could have carried on. And, and not to put it on you, but I think at one point it comes to where you, you could really, you was overwhelmed. We were so overwhelmed. So this is a bit of a sales pitch. Look. I don't care if there's two people, if there's eight, if there's ten, if there's hundred. If you want to come and get into the presence, if you want to hear God speak, because let me tell you something, God is speaking. God has not stopped speaking. 
He's speaking more than ever right now. Just come and be a part of him. There is no pressure to do anything. Tuesday at half seven, Steph will lead for two hours on Tuesday this time. And I don't know if any of the other worship bands, if you want to come, the invite's there. Come, join in, two hours, put it in your diary. Thanks, Dom. Just come and be blessed. Okay? Amen? Amen.